Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 30th day of January 2018. Before I talk more about today's show, I do want to remind you that I am the uh, editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office in New York City, normal work hours in New York City, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. would also like to encourage you to consider investing or subscribing, actually, and investing in Chen Lin's letter uh, by going to chenpicks.com. Chen has done an exceptionally well a wonderful job, actually, for his investors, having turned a small investment of $5,400 into $2.5 million over 10 years. Uh, Chen's a good friend of mine. We continue to trade notes, and uh, he's on this show from time to time as well. But consider going to ChenPicks.com. Learn more about Chen Lin's letter. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to invite you to keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises coming along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Also, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Bonterra Resources, Uranium Energy, RN Resources, Novo Resources, and Genesis Metals Corp. I've titled today's show, Is the Everything Bubble Reaching Its Expiration Date? Kevin Duffy, Nav Dhaliwal, and Michael Oliver return. As manager of the Bearing Fund, Kevin has had a magnificent track record in protecting wealth from stock market crashes with the current equity bull market among the longest on record and with legendary hedge fund manager Ray Dalio just now, this past week, proclaiming the beginning of a bond bear market and predicting a stock market crash. We turn to Kevin for his thoughts about the direction of various markets in 2018 and to learn how the Bearings Fund is positioning its investors. And Kevin will be with us during the second half of today's show. Last week, Nav Dhaliwal, the CEO of one of my favorite junior exploration companies, namely Bonterra Resources, was scheduled to be with me, but a pressing corporate issue occurred just as he was scheduled to come on the show. That kept him from joining me last week, but I'm happy to say that Nav will be with me right after their first commercial break today. To update us on that company's Quebec gold deposit, the dimensions of which are growing very, very dramatically uh, with this year's drill program. So uh, you won't have to wait, however, uh, right now for any commercial break to listen to Michael Oliver. Michael is with me. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with me, and it's always important for me to tell my listeners it's uh, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Well, Michael, you um, headed up your weekly missive with something like, uh, the lids are coming off. Talk to us what you mean by that. Well, I think the interest rate lids bond prices down, uh, interest rates up, is about to occur in a magnificently noisy way. <clears throat> and um, we've had a lot of bond declines, price declines, over the past five, ten years. But they always stop, and then you go back up, and the rates go lower and so forth. And people are hypnotized by that uh, and think it's just a process that goes forever. Uh, I don't. I think the major trend structures that could define a, a turn in rates to higher levels and in higher levels yet again and again, in other words, change the major trend, are, are here. Uh, right now, there's a day left in the month. Uh, T-bond futures are below the level they need to close the month out. 
uh, in order to avoid breaking massive annual momentum support structure. German bonds are below the level they need to be to save themselves. The only one of the three biggies that I'm watching is the JGBs, Japanese government bonds. Of course, they have futures contracts, too. And they are marginally rat's hair above a level. They need to close out the month to break. Now, they could close out next month below it and break it then. The number stays static all year. Uh, I think they're going to break. I think the JGBs will join in, and I think we're going to have a big bear market in bonds this year. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think on the other side of that, you're going to have a big bull market in commodities. I think Mm -hmm. the bull market's already begun. It's objectively measurable. We have gone up in the Bloomberg Commodity Index. You've gone up big time in copper. You've gone up big time in gold. You've gone up big time in oil. And I think the grains are on the cusp of blowing it out as well, and even cattle. So the food commodities are ready to join in this year, and I think they will. In fact, when I I run my charts uh, to my subscribers of annual momentum of corn and soybeans and wheat, you can basically take those charts and flip them upside down. It looks like the JGBs, the Bunds, and the T-bonds upside mm. down on their momentum mm-hmm. charts. And I find that interest poetically justice there, that uh, the, uncon- the, the incorrect definition of inflation is commodity price rise. We've had rampant inflation for all these last years, and it's gone into stocks. They don't call that inflation. It's only when food stuff goes up, then they say, right. oh, that inflation. Well, you're about to get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bond market's about to get it the other way. So I think the lids are coming off. And uh, there's a lot of people that would debate me on that, and they do. (laughs) And there's going to be a lot of chatter on both sides of that equation. And uh, I really don't care. If you break the momentum structures, it's over, you're gone. And right now the bonds are doing it. Uh, The soybeans are doing it right now. Corn and wheat are very close. It's it's an interesting situation. It really is an interesting situation. As I look at your T-bond charts and your last, uh, your weekly missive, it's very clear. Um, you know, where the structure is, is about to break down, and you're saying we are now below that level, I guess you're saying, right? Yeah, we are below it, yes. We're having an issue. Having an issue. Uh, okay, now yeah, it's gone. Okay, I'm back. Okay, <laughs> all right, you're back. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, uh, so equities now, you put out a missive today, just today, yeah. Michael, with yeah. the stock market having a second uh, significant down day. What are you seeing for stocks? Are we, are we near I'm, a breaking I'm point here? bone connected to the thigh bone uh, theory here. I think the real down in stocks is likely to commence in Q2, but the initial phase could occur this quarter, specifically February, could start it. We're already starting here in late January. I've got some numbers literally um, you know, half percent below where the market is right now that if you break them next month, which is, say, in two days uh, mm-hmm. or later, you're in some trouble. And you're likely to go down. But the down you'll see there probably won't be disastrous. It'll just be, you know, several percentage points. Uh, you know, you'll get a fist fight and up and down, and they're confusing, and people will debate it's a correction or whatever. The key is to get the S&P, which right now is just above 2,800, to an area around the high 2,700s as we open next quarter. Meaning if you, get a, a, if you break the shin bone now and you start to wobble, and you're under pressure because you've done some technical damage, and you waste out the month of February and March, which is entirely likely if you do the breakage that I see, uh, it doesn't mean you have to go down hard. All you have to do is, is go down a bit and then linger, because when you open next quarter, if you're anywhere between old 2750 area and 2800 in that zone just below today's action, uh, you're in big trouble. 
And so I see it as a two-part thing. In other words, let's just go ahead and leverage the guy down, get him down into a position to where when he opens next quarter, it's untenable. At that point, you could get something more dramatic. Uh, so I, I see it as a, as a two-part process. But you, you could be getting the initial phase of it right now. Don't get too excited because I don't think it's going to be a crash here right now or anything of this sort. Mm-hmm. But I think it could be the kind of wobble that fools people, that some people will view it as a buying opportunity. Others might, if they're smart, will see it as, ooh, ooh it's the beginning of the process, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we anticipate. Uh, but mm-hmm. that, that entails a, a period of confusion uh, at and below today's action uh, over the next uh, eight weeks, let's say, where you, know, you, you get some down, but you don't collapse. Uh, all, right. all you're doing is setting the stage so that when you open Q2, you're in real trouble. All right, Michael, uh, we're going to have to leave it go at that. But just one quick uh, comment on gold. It's looking pretty positive, I suppose, right? Oh, you, yeah. you had a number I, I, we know, needed to close to above this month. month. We close 1350 or higher. Maybe we'll get it. Maybe we won't this month. Maybe it'll be next month. That's a price-based uh, level. It's something that anybody with a price chart can see. We've been bullish since 1140, and it's an, uh, we're, you know, we're an unbroken record. We just Nothing has changed that view. Uh, okay. We think gold's going a lot higher. It, All right. could be that, it could be that we're in the biggest gold bull market ever, and we could be in the finality of a gold bull market, meaning yeah. we're headed for crisis situations in a lot of markets, and gold will express that. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, we hope and pray that's not true, but well, it is what it is, and we need to be prepared for it, Michael. And I want to thank you very much for helping us be prepared that we're out of time. Thanks so much for being thank with you, us. Jay. We'll look to do it again next week. All right, folks. Well, uh, don't go away. We're going to commercial break. When we come back, Nav Dallywall of Bonterra Resources will be with me and uh, to talk about a very rapidly expanding gold deposit in Quebec. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Nav Dallywall. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Nav Dalliwal. Uh, Mr. Dalliwal is the president and CEO of Bonterra Resources. He's been with us before on this show. Um, so uh, he brings with him a great deal of, uh, of expertise and background in the exploration sector, with especially with younger starter starting up companies, and uh, he's doing a remarkable job with uh, Bonterra Resources. Thanks for joining me again, Nav. Yeah, thanks, Jay, for having me back. It's really good to have you. Um, you know, before we get started, let me just mention uh, you're traded in Canada under the symbol BTR. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under the symbol B-O-N-X-F. Uh, I have you about 190 million shares outstanding. And I, earlier today, when I checked in U.S. money, it was at 44 cents. It gives you market cap around $84 million. Does all that sound like pretty much the right metrics there, Dav? The right metrics in U.S. dollars, yeah. You okay. Know, we're trading right now uh, in, in Canadian dollars in the mid fifties, thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's remarkable. Still, I think you know I, I missed the boat when the stock first took off, and then uh, you come off your highs, and you've been sort of basing for a little while here. In the meantime, when I started looking at the story again, realizing how much progress you're making in the exploration front, I said, "Gosh, I think this is one I need to own." And then I uh, added a good chunk of, of my portfolio. Uh, of your shares, but I, you know, one of the things that's impressed me, it's always good to know you have good company when you're when you're making an investment. It sort of helps you feel that you're on the right track, and you have some pretty impressive institutional holdings companies that uh, institutional holders of your shares. Would you care to comment on who some of those are? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. And, you know, um, that's something that uh, when we're building out a company uh, or, or developing on it, um, you know, it's key to you, you start off um, moving the needle and, and you know, markets, um, you know, may or may not be there, but you keep at it. And with that attitude and in, in how us as management have been developing the company, and in short order, we're kind of turning over the roster uh, with the likes of Eric Sprott, Joe Foster out of Van Eck, the fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got Kirkland Lake Gold. Um, you've got now, um, you know, Sprott USA with Rick Rule and Andy Jackson being mm-hmm. strong supporters of the stock. Um, you know, and you, you, you've, uh, and again, as this, as we continue our news flow and building out the deposit, um, you know, you're, you're going to see more participation in that sense. And, and again, we're, we're patient. We've been patient with this stock, but I, I don't want to leave the impression that we're sitting back and waiting for people to come. No, we're, we're out there. And Dale, the, the vice president of exploration and myself, we're, we're out there in front of people, uh, telling people about the story. You know, it's a very active camp. Um, and, and, uh, it's definitely getting the attention that it deserves. It will be one of the next gold camps to come online in Quebec. And that's, that's my opinion on it. Yeah, it's a, it certainly is impressive. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Gladiator Project, which is uh, your flagship. Uh, for the sake of investors this, that may not be familiar with it, take a few minutes and just talk about the history of it, where it was a year or two ago and where it is now. For sure. So I'll take you back, uh, you know, kind of giving the geo, geo, uh, 
geographically where we are. So uh, Bonterre is located 170 kilometers northeast of Val d'Or in Quebec. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called the Urban Berry Camp, uh, where our gladiator uh, deposit lies. So back in 2000, and, uh, you know, I gave conception to the company, um, and we've been in this area since 2010. 2012, uh, to give you a, a recap, I took over the company and, you know, looking for management at that point in time where, again, I'm looking for guys that understand the rock, that come with years and years of experience of drilling holes all the way to the finish line of putting it in production. And mm-hmm. uh, lo and behold, uh, Dale and I... Uh, cross paths and, and, and joined up and took this upon and took it upon ourselves to go listen this is this is a thriving area um, he looked at the southwest trend and in short order um, you know uh, before you know the activity really started to get frothy in this area um, we went down and uh, knowing all the prospectors for quite some time I walked down as much as I could on that southwest trend, knowing all the prospectors. So we increased uh, our land position in early 2014 um, by 170%. Now, going actually, I, I kind of skip uh, skip past when I did t- take this company and cleaned it up. I took the um, you know the drilling that had been done, and I had to make sense of it for the investing community. Why is it something that um, you know? Where is this going? So I commissioned a 43-101 in 2012, and that was 200 meters at strike and 200 meters at depth. They came out with a resource of 273,000 ounces at 9.37 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of Dale and I's starting point uh, with a showing that was a kilometer, uh, over a kilometer away, and that's kind of where we started off. And in short order, starting off in 2015, um, you know, we've taken that small uh, resource and now have have expanded that substantially to over 1.2 kilometers at strike over a kilometer at depth with now five uh, defined zones and uh, again this is, we haven't closed this off in any direction yet Jay mm-hmm well, that's remarkable. I mean, uh, and and those are gr- that grade that you mentioned, nine point thirty-seven grams per ton, pretty sweet. Uh, we're talking about a, a deposit that comes right up to surface or close to it. Actually, yes, uh, it starts at surface and it continues all the way down. Um, you know, grade is something here that um, you know this is going to be a high grade camp. Um, you know, this is your typical Abbey Tibby greenstone uh, quartz vein hosted deposit. You know, we're not teaching anybody any new geology here. This is, you know, mm-hmm. this has been this sort of style has been mined for hundreds of years. So, um, you know, one thing that we initiated uh, early this year was our uh, met test holes, so metallurgy. Yeah. To show, you know, to kind of uh, now, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to now show how clean the deposit is. So we're excited to get that uh, those assays uh, rolling and and um, and get that uh, information to the marketplace as well. So the metallurgy looks. Uh, what, what do you know about the metallurgy at this stage? Does it look pretty pretty simple, or do you, it, what it's, can it's you? Pretty standard, simple. You know, it, it's your again, it's your um, uh, typical uh, quartz quartz veins. You know, style hosted mm-hmm. deposit. Um, you know, going back in 2017 was a big turning point for the company. Um, this is where we 
we were starting to turn over the rosters. In 2017, we did two bot financings totaling uh, just over $50 million, or sorry, $40 million, um, bringing in the likes again of Eric Sprott, Joe Foster, Kirkland Lake Gold, and then, you know, uh, shortly after, as we kept this... Um, kept the story out there, keeping it in front of people, doing, you know, interviews with, um, uh, you know, like yourselves, is mm-hmm. getting the word out there that, listen, you haven't missed the boat here. The value is still there. If you're looking at this deposit, in short order, we have really stretched this out. And, um, you know, so the company is now well-financed, moving into our, our 2018 program. Uh, we're getting very aggressive on, on our, on our uh, deposit. Um, you know, down not only just the work, just by expanding the camp. We've taken a 25-man camp, built it out to an 80-man camp. Uh, we're building infrastructure within our property portfolio. So that uh, not that we couldn't work all year round, but it's just going to be that much more efficient with mm-hmm. infrastructure built. So I've built over 12 kilometers of, uh, you know, infrastructure and continue to build on it. Um, so in 2018, we're going to start off in the first half. Now, this is, we did 60,000 meters of drilling in, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first half, we're going to initiate a 30,000-meter drill program, and now that consists of four rigs on top of the deposit, two rigs being regional, um, and, and again, it's a very efficient time for us to be working out there. Uh, the ground is froze up. Uh, it's, it's easier to move our equipment around. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the expansion very quickly of our deposit, uh, we're now going to kind of come back and fill in the gaps of information. Uh, you know, we're looking to target about the 50-meter spacings. And why we're doing that is the second half of this year, uh, we plan on updating our 43101. Um, you know, again, uh, 80% of our efforts are going to be on the deposit, 20% regionally. And why I say regionally is in, in uh, the third quarter of last year, you know, we know what works in this area now. Uh, till sampling, IP, ground make, you, you overlay all that information, mm-hmm. and we generate targets. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on our property to the southwest, which is called the, the Coliseum property, it, it, you know, it's never been worked before. Uh, it's basically Greenfield's work. And in short order, we put a uh, drill program on it, and um, we found a new discovery. So we're very excited about um, the rest of the targets that we've chosen through this process. So the the regional work that's really got us excited, you know, I don't want to discredit what we got going on in the deposit. That's fantastic. We have a very strong understanding of what we're doing here. And, um, you know, even to stretch that point out further, Jay, mm-hmm. is that the company has never been in such better shape than it is now of the geological understanding mm-hmm. and the capitalization that's happening within the company. Mm-hmm. So we're getting very aggressive. I believe that you will see news flow that you've never seen out of this company to date as we're getting aggressive on our program. Um, and, you know, the excitement from, you know, from top management all the way down to the, the guys at the drill drill sites, you see the enthusiasm. And it's, um, it's quite... Uh, it's quite, uh, it's refreshing to see, you know, the excitement that um, has been uh, 
you know, that's kind of uh, moving throughout the camp down to where we are in, 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 uh, in the office side of things, that uh, it's about time that, uh, you know, the markets are, you know, you know, commodities are working their ways. The markets are, are, are healing themselves. Uh, but we've never taken the notion that, you know, we're market dependent. We continue to work. We, yep. we know we're onto a deposit here. And, um, and again, we're very excited. Well, and rightfully so. I mean, if I look at uh, 273,000 ounces over uh, the dimensions, the initial dimensions of 200 meters, I believe you said, and 200 meters of depth, and now you're looking at 1,200, you're looking at 1.2 kilometers along strike and, uh, you know, a kilometer to depth, right? And uh, I know you can't really answer this, and you won't be able to answer it until you come out with your 43-1-on-1, but you've been able to look at a lot of the drill cores. You have a lot of the assays back, if not. Do you have all the assays back from your uh, 2017 program? No. Uh, oh, no, you still have more. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've got more, and, um, and, and again, we're, we haven't stopped drilling, Jay. So, yeah, I, that's uh, the point, and also you'll be drilling through the winter. Uh, so we'll have drill flow. We'll have dr- news coming out through the winter, which isn't true of all the northern Canadian Canadian companies. But uh, just to give it, I mean, just I'm what I would really like to know, and I know you would mm-hmm. too, and you can't answer it. But if you had something like a grade of nine point thirty seven grams per ton, I mean, it, it, what might investors expect? I mean, I know you can't answer this exactly, but are we looking at something substantially lower in grade, larger numbers of ounces, or might there still be a high-grade deposit at, at these depths? No, this uh, this in soon and short order, and we're looking forward to you know getting this out to the marketplace, and and I and I believe that the the grade hangs together. The continuity now in early days, you may have argued about continuity. You, yeah. That is blown out of the water. You see the continuity of what we've got going on. We're developing the you know how we're looking at this easterly plunge that's uh, taking place here. So you know we we see the mining wits here. You know if you're taking a mining scenario, you know mm-hmm. we're you know we're building that mocking it up uh, internally ourselves um, to answer that question not to walk around that question Jay is that you're going to be you're, you're looking at a very high grade deposit here that's going to mm-hmm. hang together and and uh, yeah you're right you know I don't like putting numbers out there but uh, I believe that uh, with the excitement that we've got coming here that um, this is definitely something that will be turning heads yeah so your uh, your mining wits are pretty good I guess you uh, oh, yeah. you have I mean any can you give us a sense of that you're looking from you know two to four meters and and again this is coming from you know not just um uh theory this is also coming from you know the the years of experience that we built as a team around this that have mm-hmm. taken uh similar deposits into production so this is something that you know this isn't um, again, we're not developing anything new here. This is, uh, again, a, a similar hosted that you're seeing a lot of mines that have been built off of similar deposit, uh, similar style of rock that uh, we've got here, right? Um, so, yeah, you know, and, and I'd like to make sure that the, the, the listeners understand, and, and I don't want to leave this, that our aggressive program is this winter, but we continue to to build on what we're doing, and, and um, you know what we're planning on 2018 is a minimum of 70,000 meters to be drilled out as well. So we mm. did 60,000 last year. We we're starting off with 30, but you know if we see where the smoke's coming from, you know we've got enough capital to to exercise uh, a full push on. If we're seeing again where that smoke's coming from, we're we're definitely going to get on top of things, uh, and that's regionally speaking uh, as well. 
well, you know, again, we have not closed this deposit off. Yeah. Um, that's, so, uh, you know, the exciting times ahead of us, Jay. So it's expanding laterally. You're still open at depth, too, I guess, probably, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it could be a monster in the making. That's those are my words. I'm not putting them in your mouth. Those those are what I see as an investor in your company, and uh, and um, that's why we know when I looked at it, I said, yeah, okay, I didn't buy it at ten cents, darn it. But you know, when you look at price to value, it uh, I think people have There's gone to sleep a, a little bit on this here. story. Yeah. There's so, absolutely uh, a lot of value left in this company if you're if you're. You know, if you're building out what we're we're looking at building out here, and compared to what we have as a market cap, you definitely can see that there's a lot of value. Yeah, not to mention you have another pretty good-looking property in Ontario called the Larder Lake Project, but we don't really have time to talk about that, and you're not doing a lot of work on that right now, but it's not costing you much, as I understand, to hold on to it. Uh, Nav, with just a minute and a half or so, about a minute left, can you tell us, just summarize then, what investors should be watching for over the next several weeks and months? What drivers might take this stock to the next level? Well, drivers would be, you know, uh, watching the news flow from our drilling program, definitely keeping your eyes for that, uh, the metallurgy, te- uh, you know, the, the results from that. Um, you know, regionally is something that, uh, again, when we're, we're putting on news releases, we try to keep them as, as simple as we can so it, it, anybody and everybody can see it uh, from the, the trained geologist down to the, you know, the, the um the, the retail investor that uh, keep your eyes on the results. Look at how right. we're growing this deposit. All um, right. Well, yeah. We certainly will. We're, we're out of time, Nav. Thank you so much for being with us. It's an exciting story. I hope to keep up with you in the future on this, and uh, thank you so much for being with us. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Kevin Duffy's going to be with us. His uh, Bearing Asset Fund has been hugely successful in down equity markets. If you believe that's maybe where we're headed, as Michael Oliver suggested, we may be headed into a bear market. You might want to look at what uh, Kevin Duffy has to say. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Kevin Duffy. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator Gold Deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under BONXF. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me once again Kevin Duffy of Bearing Asset Management. Kevin entered the investing business in 1985 as an analyst and also as a strategist. He co-founded a money management firm in 1988 and after the 87 crash and cut his short-selling teeth during the late 1990s tech bubble. After the tech bubble burst, he co-founded Bearing Asset Management in 2002. Bearing warned about the housing and credit bubble of 2005-2007, shorting stocks such as New Century Financial, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, MBIA, Countrywide Financial, Wachovia, and Citigroup. Kevin wrote extensively on the subject, including articles, Alan, We Have a Problem, Mr. Mozilla Goes to Washington, and Honey, I Shrank the Net Worth. The firm's two long, short hedge funds profited from the unwind, including Bearing Fund, the more aggressive of the two, which gained over 100% in 2008 when most 401ks were turned into 201k accounts. So we're really pleased to have Kevin with us again uh, to observe the current market environment and uh, how we might prepare ourselves for the difficulties that uh, may very well lie ahead. Thanks for joining me again today, Kevin. Jay, good to be with you. It's always good to have you here uh, with me and to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, as an Austrian economist, as an observer of free markets, we're in a Credit boom. I think you've called this the everything bubble. Talk to us a little, a little bit about the current bubble that we're in and compare it with some of the more recent ones that we've had. Well, Jay, unfortunately, we've had far too much experience with, with bubbles over the last 20 years. And I think they all changed their spots, which is why uh, they're not obvious uh, every time. And so uh, we've had the tech bubble in the late 1990s. We had the housing and credit bubble in, uh, in the mid 2000s thousands and and this bubble and and each one has been uh, basically seeded by artificially low interest rates um, this one is is a bit different because the uh, the suppression of interest rates went lower went down to essentially zero um, and it was for a long period of time for about seven years whereas the other ones were a couple of years two or three years during the uh, the uh, the housing bubble and I think what what happens is the um, the public eventually comes into these bubbles at the very end. That's another uh, sign. There are many signs that we can kind of go over, but the first two bubbles were relatively narrow. They were more sector specific. So you had the tech bubble um, and then you had the, the housing bubble, housing and, and credit, basically Wall Street and the mortgage market. And, and yet with those first two bubbles, there were places to hide at the top. So um, in the, the tech bubble, 
bubble especially, it was very narrow. The speculation was really focused on the dot-coms, on the technology stocks, but the old economy stocks were um, were really abandoned. In the run-up, in the final parabolic run-up to that bubble, they were abandoned. So you could have bought Procter & Gamble and you could have bought some, some of these old economy stocks really on the cheap. Um, the, the credit bubble was a little bit broader, but there were still places to hide. You still could have bought bonds and done well. The everything bubble is very different because it's essentially a bubble in everything. We, we have a bubble in uh, commercial real estate. We have a bubble in bonds. We have a bubble, obviously, in stocks. So there just are, are much fewer places to hide, and it's been going on for much longer. The valuations are across the board um, higher. So you, you look at something like the median price-to-sales ratio, much higher than the 2000 bubble. So um, it makes this a, uh, a much more dangerous bubble to, to navigate. There are just fewer places to hide. Fewer places to hide. Are there any places to hide? Absolutely. I think there are some places. The One of the things that's happened is we've had this, uh, it's been led, one of the main drivers, I think I think this, this boom, this bubble has had three key drivers. China, China at the margin got into this uh, early in 2009 in a big way. Um, it's been the bond market, the suppression of interest rates for seven years, and we've had a, a, a massive bubble in bonds peaked about 18 months ago when you had $14 trillion in uh, government and corporate debt that was at negative yields. And, and FANG, the, the, the big tech boom, the fact that you've had since 2000, you've had prices in bandwidth go down 99%, and that's unleashed a, a boom. It's really been a, a second wave. So if you look at these technology waves, the, the dot-com bubble was a classic first wave where the uh, the pioneers take the arrows in the back, and you had 1,600 um, online pet suppliers, for example. There's no way that this could be supported. Um, and so a lot of these these companies went to, to zero. Um, the This wave, and I think this is one reason why that the bull market has, has lasted this long and has gone as far as it could, is that you've had this, uh, it's a powerful second wave, where you, you look at um, somebody like Jeff Bezos and, and Amazon, Com. You had all these online companies, online retailers back in 2000, and then they got weeded out. And so this really played into the hands of the survivors. Uh, and this is where some of the, the big fortunes have, have been made. So the first thing that's happened is we've had this kind of tech 2.0. You know, you had tech 1.0 in, in 2000, tech 2.0. And this has been, it's been more real, more sustainable. It's, it's gone much greater. But as a derivative of that, we We've had the uh, the passive investing bubble. So, um, for example, uh, oh, all of the all the inflows have been massive inflows in, into um, ETFs, and and also passive investing in mutual funds has gone into Vanguard and BlackRock. And so there has been this kind of uh, an passive divide where on the on the long side, looking for opportunity, there's been so much money that's funneled into into the Apples and the Microsofts. And, and the Amazons and a lot of stocks that don't fit into these index funds, into these passive strategies have been kind of neglected. So yes, I think that's the, I know I'm giving you a long-winded explanation here, but in terms of where to look, you have to look over the index divide. The other area is uh, is gold. I think uh, gold and, and gold mining stocks are another place that you can hide out right
right now. They've been abandoned. You're known and have done very well you know, with your shorting strategies in the past. If those three areas that have caused the bubble, the everything bubble, China, the bond markets, and the fangs, are those some of the areas then you might be looking to short in one way or another now? Yes. Well, we've largely avoided shorting fang, thank God. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we're trying to look at what's right in front of us. And, and so, you know, our belief is that we had these, the bond market moves in really long cycles. We had a uh, 35-year bull market in bonds, um, and it ended 18 months ago. Before that, there was a 35-year bear market in bonds. So I'm not going to predict how long the next bear market in bonds is going to be, but at this point, it's 18 months, and nobody's paying attention to this. Um, we don't think the, bond, the bear market in bonds ends at 18 months. We think it goes on for years, and it may go on for decades. So that's the first thing that we're, we're doing is we're looking at shorting bonds and uh, you know I'll give you an example um, German boons the 10-year uh, uh, German boon is yielding 63 basis points started the year at 43 basis points um, it started uh, 18 months ago at the bottom it was a negative yield of about 13 basis points um, the the real yield 18 months ago was minus 50 basis points. Right now, the real yield has has actually expanded on the downside to minus 100 basis points. So you're getting so the so the German Bund is yielding 0.63 percent, and the CPI, the the 12 month year over year inflation rate is 1.65 percent. So we're shorting German government bonds. We're shorting Italian. We're shorting, um, you know, you can short the Japanese government bond uh, 10 year at seven basis points, and they and the country has their uh, debt to GDP is about 250 percent. It's the highest in the world. So. I think that's first and foremost. That's the area that we're shorting. That's working. Um, I think another area that's related to that would be commercial real estate, and especially the retail REITs and the office REITs. Um, and these have actually started to to work out very well. They're kind of bond surrogates, and they've been moving moving lower. And you know, this is also a function of the last bubble. That the fact that um, we had retail square footage growth in the um, from 2000 to 2007. It was about eight percent, and since then it has has pretty much dried dried up. But there's still this overhang from the last bubble, and I think what's happened this time we had a huge boom in REITs, and this was caused by the REITs for yield. So the suppression of interest rates drove money into this area, and I think it's it's very ripe. So for example, since the um, since the election, there's been hardly any movement up in net net in the uh, in the REIT sector, and uh, and now especially the office and the retail REITs. There are, there are all kinds of different REITs out there, but that, those are some areas that we're we're uh, we're focused on. Sure. Uh, what about junk bonds in general? We're short junk bonds as as well. Um, we we see the uh, uh, the yield spreads are at record lows, um, and the uh, the yields on uh, European junk. And we're not short it, um, but we probably should be. And the yields on, on European junk are actually lower than U.S. Treasuries. I mean, it's just we're we're in silly season right now. Kevin, do you you mentioned gold? What about gold shares? Yes, we like gold shares. I mean, on the negative side, as you know, Jay, it's a very difficult business. And if you give a, a gold miner money, you know, he'll he'll drill holes with it. But we're in an environment right now of 
actually very loose money for uh, if you want to go buy a car. I mean, it's it's you, the the financing is is very uh, very loose, very easy credit available. But if you want to start a gold mine, it's uh, it's very tight. Um, so that's a good sign. That's definitely a good sign. Um, but. Uh, also, just commodities in general, we, we feel that um, the economy right now is, you know, quote, booming, uh, whatever that means. But um, we don't see that continuing. And, uh, and we just feel that the price of their output price of gold will hold up, should do very well. And the, you know, the input costs are probably relative to gold um, in the next few years should be going down. So, um, and they're very cheap. I mean, as you know, Jay, the gold mining stocks are very cheap. Yeah, in fact, if I compare the gold itself to the monetary base, gold is also very undervalued if you use that metric. But uh, you know, the market will determine what you know what what the price is ultimately. A silly season, you say we're in right now. That certainly seems to be a great description of what's going on. Um, yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah and Jay. You know, also um, to to add to that and and. To fit another piece in with uh, with gold, you know, gold has had a couple of decent years. Actually, uh, very quietly, has had a couple of good years. Um, there were huge outflows from 2012, uh, 2012, 2013, 14 from gold ETFs. Uh, but they're very quietly. They've done done. You know, they've had positive res- returns over the last couple of years. And uh, but last year. It was the cryptocurrencies that got all of the uh, the attention, and um, so I think you know talk about silly season. The um, the bubble that we're seeing in cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Anytime a company adds blockchain to their name or changes their name or uh, has a press release with blockchain in it, the stock doubles or triples. Now, these are the kinds of things, the kinds of wild speculation you see at the end of, of bubbles. Um, TD Ameritrade was another example. They reported earnings uh, last Monday, and uh, they reported the 35-year uh, and younger clients, new clients, were up 72%, and trading activity for the year so far, just for the first two and a half weeks, was up 34%. And they said 6 to 9% of the trading activity is now in cannabis stocks and in blockchain stocks. So there's, you know, this is how crazy things have gotten. And if, you know, think about it, let's, let's fast forward. Um, typically, and this is another comparison that you can make to the past bubbles, is that the first areas that tend to uh, crack and give you a warning are the most marginal areas. So the, with the dot, you had the dot-com bubble burst, okay? And then, and it took, there was a, a certain uh, lag, but eventually the rest of the market went. And then you had, with the housing bubble and housing and credit bubble, you had the subprime lenders. Those are the mer- most marginal. They cracked in February, March of 2007, and then the, you had the meltdown in 2008. So I would not be surprised if it was Bitcoin, and Bitcoin has peaked at... Uh, what nineteen twenty thousand dollars, and now we're at at uh, you know ten or eleven thousand. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency bubble were to burst. Well, we have six fourteen hundred different cryptocurrencies right now. I mean, this is very reminiscent of the dot com bubble where you had sixteen hundred online pet suppliers. So. Um, you know, maybe what happens is that bubble bursts first, and that's a and and I can 
I can see it right now. All the commentators will say, you know what? This is healthy. This is a healthy correction. We got rid of the speculative excess and nobody's going to connect the dots. That's another thing that you can look at. This is exactly what happened. They'll say, oh, this is isolated. This is contained. They, they'll, they'll dismiss any uh, dot connecting that, uh, oh, there's a broader cancer here. So that could also be something that gives gold a boost that it's just not going to have competition from the cryptocurrencies, not at least not as much. Yeah, I mean, uh, the um, the cryptocurrencies, uh, I mean, we have a 32-year-old son who's doing some investing now, and I sort of joked with him the other day, I said, you know, Scotty, we don't have to worry ever about a declining market anymore, do we? Uh, it just goes up every day, the S&P 500, and so we don't really have to worry, do we, do we, Scotty? And, um, well, I, I would ask you, uh, I would ask you, Kevin, what is to keep the Federal Reserve from pumping even more money in if the equity market starts to go down? It certainly has seemed to be very sensitive, as David Stockman calls it, whenever the stock market throws a hissy fit, the Fed comes to its rescue and pumps all that money in. All of the congressmen, lawmakers in Washington seem to be more concerned about the stock market than they are about their about their voters, uh, at least about the welfare of their voters. So what um, what is to keep the Fed from this constant pumping that would keep things from falling off the cliff? Yeah, um, this is a, a common perception and and I think it's a bit of a, a misconception. You know, first of all, what happens, what starts the bubble, what starts the boom going is the central banks putting their thumb on interest rates, the artificial suppression of interest rates. That's, that's what gets everything started. And, and it's a process. I mean, it doesn't just, you had, you know, relatively high saving rates. You had, there were people that were traumatized by the meltdown of, of 2008. And so, Behavior takes a while to change. You had um, the, for example, the stock buybacks. The stock buybacks at the the best time to be buying stock would have been obviously 2008, 2000, you know, the end of 2008, 2009, 2010. Well, if you look at companies, especially in the retail sector, they dried up. The stock buybacks absolutely dried up during that time. The other thing that happened during that time was uh, that saving rates, uh, personal, this personal saving rate was high. Uh, so, so this behavior, it took a while. It took QE2, it took QE3, it took all this conditioning to kind of change everything. So, um, get, get, getting back to your question, the Fed pumping, um, the Fed can, and the, and the central banks, they can artificially lower interest rates, but they don't control economic law. They can, they can suppress it initially, and what happens, and this is classic you know, Austrian business cycle theory, is that when you lower interest rates, um, first of all, you're, if you had a, a normal lowering of interest rates, it would take a, an increase in saving, it would take an increase in capital. Okay, that's not what's happening here. You have an artificial lowering of interest rates. So you're not setting, uh, you're not setting aside more capital. Okay. And in fact, in lowering interest rates, what you're doing is you are, um, encouraging pe or you're discouraging people from saving. So you are, you're, you're actually consuming capital. The other thing is you are encouraging people to consume. So capital is being consumed, um, at basically at both ends of the Hayekian triangle, um, where where you have um, the uh, more roundabout processes. Uh, so at the earlier stages of production, so say R&D, research and development, the early stage commodities, that sort of thing, they're all at the earliest early stages, and they get they get pumped up. Well, um, 
you and you see that you see that with the fangs in, in uh, to start the cycle they were spending five billion on r and d you know now they're spending fifty seven billion um, so you have you have the the um, the consuming of of resources during this process and it can't continue because you have what's happened is Companies have businesses have taken on uh, more roundabout, longer longer term projects, and the capital is not there to complete the projects. Um, so it's all misdirected. And then as this goes on longer and longer, and people, what do you see right now? Saving rates are now the personal saving rate is at two point nine three percent. It's at its very low levels, and um, so the resources are not there. And so what's happening is interest rates are starting to go back up as a reflection of supply and demand. The resources are not there. The capital is not there. And so I think you can. What happens is in the initial stages, yes, the Fed or the central banks can artificially lower interest rates, but then the market realities start to set in, and that's the. That we're in, I think, Jay, is where rates are going up, and they're not going up because because the Fed and the central banks are decided one day, hey, let's let's drive up interest rates. No, they're reacting. They're being forced by market conditions. Thank you, Kevin. I think that is exactly right, and that's what I've believed, that it's not really the Fed. They would have us believe that the Fed is in control, that everything is done for our good, of course, by the Fed in their omniscience, and they would increase rates now because they know that it's the right time to do it. No, they don't know anything. It's the market that is taking us up, and that I think you explained it very, very well, what I think is really going on. On at this point in the credit cycle as well. And as Alistair McLeod has talked about on the show recently, we come at this point in the credit cycle also, when rates start to rise, that banks have to sell their treasuries or else they'll take losses on those treasuries. And they start making loans and pumping money into the economy. And that sort of stimulates things too for a little while. So it's really, really interesting. So we're just about out of time here, but are you concerned at all about, I mean, which way might this thing tip? We could see, I mean, if we get a kind of really devastating stock market decline with rising interest rates, which seems very logical. We could also go back into the same kind of a situation we had in 2008, 2009, only possibly worse because the bubble is so much larger. Uh, yes, I think that uh, well, Ray Dalio, when he was in, in Davos, said, uh, we are in this Goldilocks period right now where we have had this beautiful deleveraging. Um, inflation isn't a problem. Growth is good. Everything is pretty good with a big jolt of stimulation coming from changes in tax laws. Um, this beautiful deleveraging. Well, we haven't had a beautiful deleveraging. The, um, the public debt as, as a percentage of GDP this cycle has gone from 35% to 75%. Um, we have margin debt at 580 billion, 3% of GDP, which is about as high as it gets. Um, we have all kinds, we, there's no cash on the sidelines. Um, so this is, we're at a very precarious point. And I think the most important thing is to, to understand that rising rates are kryptonite to bubbles. It, they've, every single time, it's just a question of when. It's a question of how high rates have to go. And if you look at the two-year treasury, so risk, risk off, um, it, it, let's take that as a proxy. Two-year treasury is at 2.12%. Um, bond yield, I'm sorry, the S&P 500 yield is about 1.8, 1.9%. So we've now crossed over where there is an alternative. This isn't Tina. There is no alternative. There is now an alternative to stocks to risk on. And um, 
And this is the first time that there has been an alternative since September of 2008. So we're in a very different environment right now. I think rising rates are kryptonite to bubbles. It's just a matter of when. And I think everybody thinks that they have a window where the the yield curve has got to invert or we've got to go to, you know, X percent on interest rates, three, four or five percent before it, it kills the party. And I think everybody thinks that they're uh, they're going to be able to hand over the bag to somebody else. And they're sort of playing this great or fool game, but um, uh, I, I really think that rising rates will will continue, and that will you'll see these bubbles start to burst, maybe with Bitcoin initially in the cryptocurrencies, and then it'll start to spread. But uh, but just keep an eye on on rising rates. All right. Well, we'll have to leave a go at that. Uh, for those listening to the show, it's bearingasset.com, bearing b e a r i n g asset.com. Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today and um, for your insights into the markets. I think there's spot on. So I want to thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jay. I really enjoyed it. Well, folks, that is all the time we have today. Uh, next week, John Rubino will host the show. In my absence, as I will be traveling to Nevada to visit a gold exploration project there. I, I believe he's going to have Chris Martinson as his guest. Michael Oliver will join John Rubino as well. So uh, be sure to listen and, until uh, February 13th when I'm back with you again. Goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC.